this episode that you are about to listen to is part of our Arizona Spotlight series. Today, you'll get to hear a conversation that I had with Cynthia Pepper, an occupational therapist, feeding specialist, child development expert, and the owner and visionary for the Tot Spot Phoenix. I am so excited for families local to Phoenix and the Scottsdale area to listen to this episode to learn more about what is available to you and your family right here in your backyard. Um, this Their location is over on 32nd Street and Lincoln. This episode is also really valuable for those of you who aren't even anywhere near Arizona because you'll get insights on some of the themes that we're noticing in our field for littles. You'll get to hear the passion and compassion in her voice for her work and the families. And while you're listening, check the show notes for more information and get connected with their incredible team. Welcome to the Friends and Family Guide to Speech Therapy and ADHD Coaching. I'm your host, Tracia Wong. I'm a speech language pathologist and the owner of Illuminate Family Workshop, a private practice in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm thrilled to bring you this podcast where we explore the power of communication and connection and how language plays a crucial role in both. In each episode, we'll dive into topics related to child development and language processing and how your student might benefit from speech therapy or coaching. The mission of this podcast is to shine light on the variety of ways to build up our students' confidence through language and ways to build resilience so they can be the fullest and most aligned expression of themselves in today's world. You'll get to hear about ways to support them at home and at school. We'll talk about how we can celebrate and honor a child's unique personalities while highlighting their strengths and promoting a growth mindset to do hard things. I'm here to share my expertise and experience with you, but I also want to hear from you. So if you've got a specific topic or question you'd like me to cover, send me a DM on Instagram at Illuminate Family Workshop. Let's jump into today's episode. Thank you so much for being here. I'm super excited for our listeners to get to hear from you, the occupational therapist, feeding therapist, owner of the Totspot Phoenix. Um, it's a, an absolute local gem. If you are in the Phoenix or Scottsdale or Paradise Valley area, you guys have got to swing by to check this space out, a community hub for learning. I am obsessed with it when I came to visit you guys Um last summer I want to say got to hang out a little bit behind the scenes with your team and just got to meet their genuine personalities and the way you guys love on your families and space and all that good stuff thank you thank you for having me it's a pleasure to be here and to share information with the local communities about what we're doing and and what's happening with our kids totally you know we were just chatting a little bit before this and you were saying that you guys have been in business for about 20 months, which congratulations to you guys. That is huge. But also I feel like you've been a local staple for like five years. So appreciate it. I definitely feel like we are in toddlerhood. So both what we do and as a business, um, a time of change, a time of growing, um, a time of adapting to the constant motion. So that's just like the toddlers we work with. Oh my gosh, right there. There's parallels and everything, all the metaphors when we work with kids. So what made you start Totspot? What made you get inspired about this? Well, so first of all, many people don't know what an occupational therapist is. So I think to start there because um, I get asked a lot, oh, you find jobs for children, this and that. So (laughs) occupational therapy is a very broad term and we work with 
anything that it brings meaning to life and people need to do for their lives. And for children, that means play, that means movement, that means feeding, all of these areas. And so previously to open the business, I was doing all these things, mostly in homes, in schools, pretty much everywhere where children spend their time. Um, and I, I had this keen eye into what was happening with parenthood, with ch childhood. And um, I really enjoyed being in the clinical spaces and in people's homes. But I also found the lack of sort of what we, people call third spaces or these more communal spaces where they could get real help, not just finding it or scrolling on the internet, but come in and learn from each other and from really experts in on development. And so I loved being in people's homes. I still have a very strong place in my heart for being in people's homes. And it's partly why when I opened the Todd Spot, I basically our playroom is like a giant living room. And I want it to feel like that so people can sit on the couch, watch the, the children, and we can help them in what would feel like at home. But I just can't get to everyone in my car. So that was sort of the inspiration behind it. That's incredible. Yeah. The what has yeah. it been like creating this space, finding the people to facilitate? The, oh, you know what? Let's just pause there and go into tot spot itself tell us about yeah. um what this space would look like when you walk in mm -hmm. who it serves um sure. and some of the services that and and programs you guys run there yeah absolutely and as i said we're in toddlerhood so we've, we've morphed a little bit um and keep changing as the people we serve change so the original um idea was an education space and we opened with group spaces so a lot of Therapy in a clinical sense is done one-on-one, -on -one, but I really believe in the power of group learning. I think it's fun to teach. I have that, I'm a born teacher. I was a teacher before as an occupational therapist, but also people learn from each other. Parents are each other's greatest resources. So I wanted to open a space that was communal. So our space really has three giant spaces, a atrium lobby where um, everything is meant to be touchable by kids, anything at their level, so they don't have to hear no. So we have busy boards that they can touch. They can eat snacks out in the lobby. Um, it's kind of just a communal gathering space. Then we have a completely baby-proof, tot-proof um, child play space that's always three and under, and people can just come play. And the idea is it's completely matted, anything, nothing swallowable. So babies and toddlers who are learning to walk, who are learning to get you know, on the move and don't know what is safe to put in their mouth, they can just be let free and not hear the word no, which we know toddlers hear no so much. And parents are kind of sick of saying it too. So it's a place, space is really just for parents to sit, relax, maybe catch up with a friend, drink a coffee and just watch their children explore. And so we call it play and discovery time and it's three and under. And so that's just a play space, um, a gross motor learning area. Everything is you know their height, chairs are their size and nothing can be swallowed as I said. So that makes it a little, little safer for uh, and, and an easier place to relax. And then the other room we have is a classroom space and that morphs all day, every day and all week into different things. So I work with babies as young as, you know, zero to four months. And so it can be a tummy time space all the way up to, we have cooking classes um, as a feeding therapist. I'm really into getting kids around food in a non-pressured way of eating because um, that's one of the biggest battlegrounds for families. And part of why I've opened it was to have feeding education. And so the classroom space morphs into a place where four and five-year-olds cook. It's a practice preschool room. It's a room for gathering for new parents and where they do tummy time and, and everything in between. So that's the classroom space that's used for education. And that's really the whole space is meant to be communal and for learning. That is incredible. I love how it is not only a blank canvas for workshops and different ideas that, that you have and people to bring in, um, 
gosh, just the peace of mind that a parent can have around not being, not having to be so vigilant in their area. When you go to meet a friend up for coffee, I'm like, what could they, what could they grab or run into or, or anything like that? You can just let them be and explore and um, getting to say yes to that for sure. Wow. That is, that's, that's gold right there for sure. Yeah. And then the, the other piece, so on top of the actual physical plant, I also opened it sort of as a hive of innovation amongst clinicians. If you're a clinician yourself, a lot of what we do is dictated by the structures we're in, and we, we are constrained by those. And being sort of outside that system and imagining what, what would we share if we didn't, it wasn't dictated by what insurances would cover or what we're allowed to do in the space. And so it's sort of been a passion project, not just for me, but like for the people who come into it. And I always ask people, like, is this something you love? What would you do with a group of kids or a group of families if you could teach them, be with them, do whatever? And we have had speech therapists who've taught yoga because yoga is their passion and they see the use of it through language and development, but also the bonding with parents and all these things. So, okay, great. Teach a child parent yoga class. We've had um, nutritionists um, and diet registered dietitians teaching cooking classes because they're actually really passionate about that. So this idea of um, just the fertile um, space for information, but also for passion sharing. And I don't want myself or anyone else teaching or having to teach something that they're not passionate about because that really comes through. And if they don't want to teach it, there's someone else who is excited to do that. So that's been a fun thing to meet other clinicians like yourself and to network and just to collaborate and imagine these new workshops or classes that may not have been existed or had a place before. That is incredible. That is so cool. It makes, mm -hmm. make sure we, we follow you along on the Instagram and, um, you know, make sure we stay checking in on your website or email list or something so we can get a hold of what upcoming workshops are, are coming through. And, um, let's talk a little bit about how your model, you, you were mentioning the play spaces on like more of like a drop-in kind of, um, mm -hmm. setup. And then you also yeah. have more of a series type of setup correct? Yeah. Can you share, share a little bit about absolutely. how those programs run? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the play space is run more like a drop-in type thing. Um, we have certain designated times. Some places you can drop in at any time. We do limit to a 75-minute session, and so we can limit the time and also clean the toys and all these things, part of which are modeled to like keep it safe for the babies and toddlers because we do have the play space for the younger set. Um, however, in the class side, I've always been really committed to the series model. Um, and this, and it, you know, and I know we're kind of in this instantaneous economy where everything's as, you know, you want to be able to drop into a class as you want. You want to be able to get, grab food when you want. And I see the instantaneous gratification in that and the importance of it. And we do offer some of those. However, I do see a benefit, especially developmentally, in watching a child and watching a family and learning them and building those relationships over time. So I've, since our inception, I've stayed committed to a series model. And that means that all our classes kind of run on these chunks of like six, five to six weeks, depending on how the seasons go and holidays. But so the children are not just coming in for one class, but they're coming in weekly for usually six weeks. I think six weeks is really a magic number. I usually see them um, start to settle into a routine by week three, not just in themselves, but with each other. They kind of coalesce as a group. The parents know each other. And I start to know the kids and then they have the next three weeks to settle in and just learn and grow knowing their routine. And we know like, especially toddlers thrive on routine and so much learning happens when they can, then they can let go and, and learn because they know what else is expected of them. And for parents, it's nice because they know each other or the caregivers. We have nannies, we have grandparents, we have aunts and uncles who bring the kids. They start to learn and meet each other. So 
there's relationships forming between them, there's relationships them forming with me. And I don't feel like that same thing happens when it's just any group can come in any day because this group follows each other and, you know, and starts to really coalesce over six weeks. And then sometimes they go on and move on to the next one together. And so they can choose to, to join a next series. But I have been and remain committed to having this sort of series model so that kids and families know each other and I can provide them the best developmental information and the other clinician knowing them over time. That is incredible. You really yeah. are blending that, your passion for community building, mm-hmm. really, and what can only happen when you stay with a group, um, when mm-hmm. you're getting to bond with a group um, over that time. And six weeks flies by too, I'm sure, once you get <laughs> into the group of things. Yeah. Um And then also your background and expertise as a therapist. Talk to me a little Mm -hmm. bit about how blending, I know some, I wonder Mm -hmm. if you've had any families say like, okay, is this therapy or is this a class or is this a play space? Like, tell me about how that blends in and how I can best easily explain that to Mm -hmm. a family or um, create that snapshot for them. For sure. Understandable. Yeah, we are kind of this amorphous thing. So it is hard to explain or pinpoint exactly what we are, but Part of that has been that I want to I want to fill in the, as as I see developmentally needed in the in the community and for families, and so um, my background is generally five and under and is in the being in the homes answering questions as needed. And when it was clinically, the children had to um, qualify in some way, whether it was in schools or as you know in homes, whatever it may be, or in in clinic. They had to ha- show demonstrate a delay, they a certain very significant delay, or they had to demonstrate um, a, a risk factor, be it genetic or otherwise, or have a, a disorder or disability. But there is so much. There's a huge black box of just knowledge that is needed, and and often proactive is better than reactive. So the best example I have is for feeding and why I'm passionate in terms of feeding education, because there's no point in waiting until a child is at risk of falling off their growth chart or only drinking Pediasure or something else at five years old, when you can provide great information and not only information, but practice situations in group, like eating around other kids is the best way for them to try new foods. There's not the pressure. They see a friend doing it. Then they want to try the broccoli or they want to try the carrot. So for me, we don't fit into this neat box because we're not clinical and we're not purely play, but that's just the point. We're kind of like an extension of the home and maybe the village that people had in times past that has been gone. You know, people used to live around aunts and uncles and people would raise their own children. And now a lot of our cohort who are having children are doing it on their own without that sort of um, embodied knowledge of generations who have raised kids or raised cousins next door. And so where are they supposed to get that information? Um, and for me, a huge aha moment was my own friends were having children um, and they were accomplished lawyers and doctors and, you know, just these amazing um, people in their profession, but then they'd have their own kids and just be like, how am I supposed to know how to feel my own child? And they're not like, where do you get that information? You don't have to have a problem to need information. And the internet can be so overwhelming. So my space sort of fills in that gap in terms of it's a parent education and child development center. Take it what you will, but we just have those different levels. You can come play and just be there and talk to parents as you're playing or meet a community or ask those questions. And I say, yeah, I'll you know, answer that question or here's a class that you can come to and, and, and get that information. So we have different levels of, of support and information as people want it. What an incredible, valuable resource to have. I mean, gosh, I've been 
I mean, as even a professional myself in this field of child development, scrolling through on like, wait, you know, on social media and seeing I would never mm -hmm. use these things or these are the things not to do. And you just get inundated with all this information and not really sure how to apply it in real life on like how to introduce new foods, what kinds of mm -hmm. spoons are great to use, like overthinking all yeah. of it and knowing there's an agenda behind um, maybe someone sharing that information for the Amazon storefront, or maybe they yeah. are doing it for education, but you, it's hard to tell. It's hard to of tell what, what's out there. And so to know that there is a space that is in our backyard that we can go to and, mm -hmm. um, and have access to this information and knowledge and resource in a non-judgmental, Hey, I just want to love on your kid and, <laughs> and, and see you, you know, thrive kind of way mm -hmm. that isn't, um, too clinically, like doesn't have to be a robotic doctor's office kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Nothing has to be, doesn't have to be a problem, quote unquote, mm -hmm. for us to gain access to this information is, I mean, I, I call, I don't know if it's right to say just like EI for the masses, like just the information, absolutely. EI meaning early yeah. intervention. intervention. I know that's, absolutely. that's mm -hmm. your jam right there. That's a great, that's a, that's a good tagline. I should take that early intervention for the masses. But yeah, you don't have no problem to, to want or need information. And and it's amazing. I mean, one of my favorite things is to give one little strategy or tweak and just, just see the child do it or the parent relax and do it and be like, oh, I can do that. And I there is a level, we do offer private consults, you know, as kind of a, not last level, but the most individualized level, I guess. But the cool thing about even that is like, is parents are the best teachers. So giving them a couple strategies and saying, you don't have to come back every week or every day. This isn't something that's going to do that. Take these strategies, use them for a month. And then that's the most fun thing to say, oh yeah, they already started crawling or like, they, oh, I feel so much better. I watched my child gag and I wasn't so scared. And so these kind of little moments that parents then have translate into a week that they're having that's better and then a month and they don't really need ongoing care. They just need that little spark. And that's what I think that is fun to provide before they wait until there's a problem or a huge stressful situation in the home. Stressful situation. That, that's a good way to yeah. put it for sure. And I think sometimes yeah. we get inundated. I mean, like, I, like we were saying, too much information. <laughs> Here are all of the strategies and all of the worksheets mm -hmm. and all of the handouts. And you're over there like, hey, try this one thing. And they're like, parents are yeah. like, okay, cool. I can, caregivers are like, I can do yeah. that one thing this week. Exactly. And then with that yeah. ongoing series, you get to follow up with them and see them again and get exactly. to say, like, how did that go? And, <laughs> yeah. and then parents get to actually and caregivers get to actually um, mark the progress that they're seeing. I find that yeah. when I go back week to week on my individual therapy sessions, parents and caregivers, when I ask them, how did the week go? How did trying that thing out go? And they'll go, wait, yeah, we actually had a great week. Wait a second. They're taking yeah. a moment to reflect because sometimes it can be so go, go, go all of the time. To have Absolutely. To actually yeah. ask you the questions that we, we don't get to reflect often or, you know, it's yeah. who's, who's interested and, and genuinely cares. Absolutely. And to your point about information, like overload and the internet, I mean, everyone just, it, we've all had the experience with our own medical issues with children. You go and Google something and you end up down this whole rabbit hole and all these things that might just be normal little developmental things or something little quirky about your kid becomes this giant red flag and this, this cause for worry. And they're up all night because it's just so much information. And sometimes all it takes is actually meeting the child and meeting the parent and saying, Oh yeah, that little thing you're seeing them doing. Oh, that's just that developmental step that's happening. Oh, they're just trying out their voice. They're not going to talk like that for, you know, it's in these kind of things. And 
But when you look it up and you Google what you call like a symptom oh, yeah. or, or a sign that they're presenting, it just sends them into a tailspin. So where are they supposed to go and get recalibrated and just have somebody say, okay, yeah, oh, so your child's biting or hitting. They're not going to be doing that forever. It's part of being a toddler. And here's what we can do to help strategize at home, but also when you're out in public and that kind of stuff. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, you have seen it all, the full range. I mean, after seeing thousands of kids, you got a pretty good pulse yeah. on, on, on the range that is possible when it comes to development. Um, yeah. And tell us about um, the developmental charts for, you know, not listing off the developmental charts for occupational therapy <laughs> and all that good yeah. stuff, but what you're noticing, um, mm-hmm. maybe a common a common theme that you're seeing with sure. our families that are coming in. Cause right now our, our COVID babies are reaching toddler age. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And just this different landscape of, of the world right now um, too. Yeah. I see different things at different stages. Cause we see it, you know, the, the, there's a different thing with the zero to, you know, six months set. And then we see things that the older ones, as you say, who are coming of age in this time where maybe they didn't have some of those early groups and um, parents didn't have that early camaraderie that they might have if they'd had parent groups when the child was a baby, but now they're three, um, you know, three years old. I think they're, it's kind of a snowball. If they haven't learned the strategies, there's a fear of bringing their child out to a group. Well, what if they pull a toy away from a ch- another child? Like, you know, there's an embarrassment that comes. And what I like is helping normalize that and provide the strategies in real time and let them know that three-year-olds do that. Three-year-olds aren't always the best at sharing. Two-year-olds aren't always the best at sharing. What kind of things can we help them do? Practice waiting. We do a lot of the wait, wait, wait. Oh, wait now. Oh, good waiting. And it's an, it's a muscle that needs to exercise. And the interesting thing is if you've been at home and toddlers can kind of touch what they want, it's their stuff. Now, when you go to a communal space or you go to a group, this, this idea of waiting is, is a muscle that hasn't been exercised. So instead of seeing it as, oh, my child's bad. Oh, I can't take them out. Oh, it's so embarrassing. It's, oh, that muscle just needs some exercise just like anything else. So we practice a lot of how can they practice even at home with their own situations with that waiting, waiting even just five seconds. I'll say to a, a parent, let's practice five seconds and then celebrate that. The next time you can wait for 10 seconds and then they can wait for the slide for 30 seconds. But all of those moments build up and all of a sudden they're able to wait there quote unquote parent. It's an abstract concept for a two-year-old, but waiting is something we all need to do. And what kids do when they're waiting um, is those things, you know, whether it be biting, hitting, all of those are just symptoms of those are the, the later expressions, but let's back up. What's ha- what is the child having trouble with? So I guess that like the older toddler stage, that's one thing. Um, and so much of our world now is immediate gratification. We can, you know, they can say, Hey, you kids, hey, Alexa, play such and such a song. Now, most of us who are of parenting age, we had to wait on the radio or some sort of thing to, or buy the CD to play that song. Even that is a muscle that's had to be exercised throughout our lives. Kids don't have that. They don't have to wait for the song. The song can immediately be put on in the car. That's such a different situation for a toddler than what we had. And so where do we build it in those moments of waiting? Um, so that they're building, because we don't wait a lot anymore. Most of us have trouble waiting. We pull out our phone in a line. So of course, kids are absorbing that. So I would say waiting, delayed gratification, these pieces are the, are, are the harder parts of the toddlers. Um, with the early babies, I'm on a huge campaign, you know, crusade to work on, um, to help with the, the quote unquote, I don't like the term, but container babies, that they're in their containers more. Ba- babies, and especially now second babies, um, when you're chasing after a toddler, are, are at bigger risk of needing helmets due to plagiocephaly, the flattening of the head, corticollis, which is sort of sort of the shortening of the muscles. But these things are dealt with so much better proactively 
than they are later on. So I'm, I love to get information early on, especially now we, we started classes for our second parents who are having second babies so that we offer, we offer babysitting for the first child. Cause what do you do with your first child while you need the class for the babies? And most people don't have classes for their second children. It's the first children who get them. So as part of our growing process has been, oh, now all our families, cause we've been open for almost two years are having, are a lot of them are having their second baby. What do second babies need that maybe the first ones didn't? And we're, we're, we're um, adapting to that. And I'm really interested in getting that information out there and, and how you easily can do these little things that will help protect your baby while chasing after a toddler. <laughs> Oh a whole gosh, new situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Whole new situation for sure. Yes. And for you guys mm-hmm. to identify this and to fill in the need and the space here in the community um, mm-hmm. is, is absolutely incredible. I'm thinking about the waiting thing. And what would you say to a parent who is nervous about bringing in their child who is just not used to those kinds of spaces? Like how, mm-hmm. I mean, for the literally waiting for three seconds. And then five uh-huh. seconds, and it's 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 baby steps for babies. Um, so the parent who is is nervous about the scenario, um, about those kinds of scenarios, they know they want to start, but they're thinking, mm-hmm. oh, maybe just we'll just keep on pushing and, and waiting. We'll just wait yeah. till school starts, and, and then maybe <laughs> yeah, they'll be prepared. We'll just maybe they'll be older yeah. and mature mm-hmm. a little bit more. But um, talk about the value there of of these social environments. Um, yeah, I think finding things and not to toot our own horn, but that having these develop developmental strata of classes. So it's nice to be with people who are dealing with the same stage because there's certain unique things. And I'm not talking about like toddler in general. I'm saying we have classes. that's like 13 to 19 months. That's a very unique time. You know, 20 to why is 20 to 30 months a unique time? These, these kids are going through some unique things. And so when you're around other parents who have kids that specific age, you, it, it, you know, they'll be like, well, I don't know if I want to do a class. They might hate or they might take a toy. And I'm like, well, that's what we work on because all the 20 to 30 month olds all want the same toy at the same time. So it's nice to be around their peers, not just for the child's sake, but for the parents' sake to see, okay, you know, and what's within the range of what they're supposed to be doing, but also providing those strategies on a group level. Because um, I, what I see a lot is people go to the play space and they'll say, you know, and, and just kind of casual, I don't know what they're talking about. It's like, oh, they, they always take toys away. And then, you know, then I get scared. I want to take them out of the play space. And so understandably, that's a unique, you know, I mean, an understandable experience for a parent. It's, it's embarrassing. But coming, you know, going to a class, whether it be our place or another place where they're all that age, it's good practice to have those times where, and, and, and those moments, but also I give them the strategies to use at home. Again, parents are the greatest teacher and they'll say, well, we don't have cousins around or we don't have a sibling. That's okay. You know what? You can have the truck. The kid can be hiding, you know, yelling for the truck. I want the truck. Oh, it's mommy's having the truck. You need to wait. And, you know, we say, oh, you need to wait. And then, oh, good waiting. Oh, now it's, now it's, Brian's turn with the truck. And so they're practicing that muscle. They can practice with their own parent. And we forget that those still are exercising the muscles. They don't have to have another peer. But then when they go into the play space, that waiting muscle has been practiced a little bit. And that's gone from five seconds to 10 to 20. So it's something they can do in their everyday life. Or, oh, you want to hear baby shark? Oh, we need to wait. Mom is cooking right now. We're going to wait. Oh, good waiting. And then put on Baby Shark, not Alexa, play Baby Shark, because that's giving them that moment of frustration and that waiting. And so you can exercise that muscle anytime. And so I think those kind of strategies are really helpful. Gosh, absolutely. A little bit of yeah. intentional frustration there, um, yeah. which 
Yeah, we create a little yeah. bit of demand on the environment for some language uh-huh. skills to pop in, for sure. Mm-hmm. Like keeping a couple of things out of reach. We love when kids can be independent and, and moving around on their own with, you know, getting what they need. But also when that thing is out of reach, they, they've got to come and ask for it or talk to us about it. And then it creates that demand. So mm-hmm. I can see that being so valuable for brain development and, and the weight. I mean, just a simple thing is waiting that we, mm-hmm. I mean, gosh, you said it too. I mean, we're not waiting as a, a, adults. Yeah. <laughs> for much of anything yeah. right now anyway so um and the other piece I like to impress upon parents especially with the second children um I, I think I was mentioning at the beginning like kids here know a lot and I feel like the whole piece part of the waiting thing is that toddlers often get attention when they're not doing something right rather than when they are doing something right because finally when they're playing by themselves and I talk a lot about this with the, se- the parents who are having their second babies you know kids are playing and they don't want to interrupt them but then they wait till the child's bothering them in some way or making a fuss or doing something or coming to hit the baby that then the child gets attention. And so I actually tell parents, set an alarm every five minutes, just like when they're playing fine, perfect. Great job playing with your toys. You know, give them the attention for what they're doing. right. Oh, or in a language point of view. Oh, good job. Like amazing using your words to ask for the snack rather than the tantrum. You don't have to say that, but you know, and so getting the attention for doing what you want them to do rather than basically they're getting attention for the things you don't want them to do all day long. So how do you flip that? Um, And that's on us as adults because we forget and it's so much easier to just let them be in and, and only respond when the squeaky wheel, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease mm-hmm. and they know that. Yeah, attention is good attention. It's all connection yeah. seeking behavior for sure. And for sure. They'll find mm-hmm. their strategy. Any, anything's a strategy for sure to get that, yep. get the connection that they're looking for, especially when this, this newfound little baby is in our, <laughs> uh-huh. is in our. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Um, what a unique um, set of needs for these mm-hmm. families. Cause I think sometimes it's like, Hey, we got, we, we got one under our belt. Okay. We've got, yeah. you know, kind of know what to anticipate this time around, especially, I mean, all the babies are always different. Every, every yeah. sibling is. So um, to think about that as a whole and being able to prepare families um, for mm-hmm. what they might anticipate and um, the, the anecdotal stories too, between families that are so valuable um, that help us build that community and feel seen and heard and, and, and together and not alone in, in this whole journey, for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You mentioned um, the Crawling Crusade. Okay. <laughs> Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, yeah, so you're talking about milestones being changed by the CDC and these other big bodies and how it affects you know our everyday. Crawling was officially taken off as a milestone. Um, but, and so all the motor therapists were up in arms because we, we see the importance, we've seen the studies um, I think it does in some way, I'm not going to say it's, it's horrible that it was taken off as a milestone because it does alleviate some stress. And I'm always about how do we really, really alleviate some of the stress from parents and just this need to always have hit everything. And we look on the internet, if they're not hitting this, then we're, I'm, I'm, you know, not doing what I'm doing well. However, there's some gray area there. Um, I think helping children and helping families understand the importance of locomotion and, and developmental patterns, um, we have what I often have, I have a group I call happy hatchlings. That's the name of our baby group. But what I often say, AKA happy sitters, they love to sit, they love to stay put and parents love it because they're happy in sitting. But if kids can't get in and out of sitting, then they're stuck there. And then there's a frustration as they, as they want to go get toys and all these things. So whether you want to call it crawling, whether you want to call transitioning, these things do become important and they affect every area of development. So I do a lot of education around these next steps, not 
whether they're crawling or not, is, okay, so they're sitting, can they get into that position by themselves? Can they get out of it? And working on those next steps as motor therapists, those are the kind of milestones we look for. Um, if they're, their crawl doesn't look like the perfect four-point crawl, all these other things, and I look and I say, but they're doing all these other things, or they just popped up to stand. Some kids crawl for a second and go right to stand. Okay, but all these other pieces and their functional way of life, are they able to function? And so those are what developmental therapists in any area are kind of looking at is not just these check off milestone things, which you get often in the pediatrician office and some of these places you need to go quickly. But let's look at your, your family situation. Let's look at the child's day. Let's look what they're doing. And then breaking it down into these smaller milestones and making sure they're functioning in what they need to do. And that's that's the real importance to me. Absolutely. The tying it to a purpose, which I mean, <laughs> Yeah, when you're just looking at the list of like, can my kid do this? Yes or no? And if it's no, like, I, you know, the stressful scenario and, and like, well, why is it that? I mean, being able to mm-hmm. join happy hatchlings and, and get the rationale behind, oh, oh, this is the, this is why we're focusing on this. This is why we're, you know, adding in this piece of it or looking at it in this kind of way. Um, what's the purpose of it is, mm-hmm. I mean, gosh, right right on it. So I, I see that there's more yeah. to this conversation around car- crawling and it's, absolutely. Yeah. Um, actually, again, know, the whole diving into the milestones could be a whole other thing in itself, but as you know, the biggest thing for us is just not looking at what the child's not doing, but what the child is doing. And I know you as a strength-based therapist, you can relate to, it's easy on a checklist to say they're not doing it, but you can see all the things they are doing that are either smaller building blocks or heading towards this. And so that's, I think, a really important thing to point out to parents and, and to give them all the ideas of what they are doing around that and then move on to that next, that next step, whatever it may be. Super powerful. Absolutely. Um, you have, gosh, I was just on your website, I have a couple different new classes mm-hmm. coming up. Um, mm-hmm. And I know we're in, when this episode launches, we'll still be in January. So you've got February <laughs> coming up. Um, mm-hmm. What can you share about the upcoming classes and series and workshops that are, that are coming through to the tot spot? Yeah, so our new, so our six weeks will be hitting at the end of February. We'll be enrolling during the month of February. And in the next couple of weeks, we'll be enrolling for those next series. And our developmental trajectory keeps expanding. So, um, you know, we go zero all the way through five. And then within that, we've broken it down more and more and more. And now we have second sibling classes. We also have a practice separation class for kids going on to preschool and all of these things. So we've, we've even broken down our stage and age further as we've know, we've, we've realized these other things that are needed. So um, the trajectory has gotten much more, um, much more robust. And as we find that our families need something, those, those are fun series to look out for. In addition, um, I collaborate a lot with um, Chelsea with a building blocks family, and she comes and does a potty training workshop and she does our make way for siblings workshops. And that's great because those are two stages that our families are, are, um, are at. And like I said, it's a hive of innovation and I don't have all the answers myself. And I love bringing in people who can touch on these areas that maybe aren't my, my expertise or passion. Um, And we do, and my other passion is on the weekends doing these fun little classes. And we have one of our favorites has been dad classes. So they come and they meet other dads because um, it's just nice to build that community. And so we have a a Valentine's day one themed coming up. Um, uh, next Saturday, which I guess is the 28th. I, I'm not, I don't have the calendar in front of me. The Saturday morning, we'll have those. We usually have them on once a month. So if people follow us on Instagram, they can see when those dad workshops come. And it's fun to have dads meet other dads. Um, that's another option for them. And we just try to meet our community that way. And then on a monthly basis, we do um, 
we do a new tots on the block and a new siblings on the block. And those are just meant to be meetups and fun. So for new tots, we don't allow older kids in the building at the time for germ control. And it's really the idea of just parents with new babies meeting other parents with new babies um, without any, not selling anything. It's free. It's just come meet, meet the community, meet us. If you have questions, you can ask them, but really it's just meant to be a social time. And new siblings, similarly, it's a playtime where people either come with, that are expecting siblings and or have recently had siblings to meet other families who are going through a similar stage. So um, I would say our website's great, but also Instagram, we are able to do things more in the moment and give you um, at, like as needed information. So those are the two places to see those upcoming events or those monthly events as we put them on. Amazing. What if someone's like, oh my gosh, I want to sign up for all of them, but where do I start? Or what would be good for our sure. family at this time, um, what would be your advice for them? Um, I'd say get in touch with us because I love talking to families and that's my favorite thing. Whether they're in for playtime or if you just want to call or email, I like to talk about what is the actual need for the family at the time because age is just a number and it doesn't often reflect what stage they're at. And so um, I give a wide, a, a, a sort of ex, sort of suggested range or a or kind of maybe range for the classes, but the age doesn't say anything. So definitely call us, reach out, email, send a, send an info email, and I'll get back to you directly. I will talk about what you're taught, where you are, whether you have one, two, multiple kids, what you're looking to gain from a class, and then I can really help target the class for you um, and, and point you in the right direction. Because on top of our developmental trajectory, we have lots of fun enrichment classes. We have an amazing science class for our two, two to five-year-olds. That's a really fun after-school activity for I've, even children who are already in a daycare preschool. We have a cooking class, like I mentioned before. If we have picky eaters, it's one of the best things you can do. Art classes, so to get more art and messy and from a sensory development point of view. So I can, I love them all because I wouldn't have them there if they weren't classes that I really believe in, but it really is something that I can, I, I only can do in tailoring to a given developmental need or family's needs, but I'm happy to chat anytime. Thank you so much for seeing the course of this Totspot vision and dream and opening this place up as a community resource and hub um, for all the families that, that we're here for. Um, is there something else that I, I'd love to have you back on? Cause then you just said sensory and I was like, wait a second, <laughs> yes. that's like yes. a whole boatload of other uh -huh. things that we need to talk Absolutely. about there. Yeah. Um, but for today, any last things that we wanted, we mentioned um, the website and I'll have your link to that also in the show notes. So you want to check that out, follow along um, with their journey. They post the cutest photos um, yeah. of the families and, and different um, groups that are going on. Um, no, I think just, I mean, this is going on to parents. So I just have to say, parents, you have a hard job and you are doing an incredible job and it's never a mark of not doing a great job to ask for help. I mean, I don't know how you're supposed to know where to get this information. So I think places like this and and you yourself answering all these questions on your podcast and, and like ed clinicians are a great place to go. Even if we don't have the answers, we often are collaborating, which is nice to then point in direction to the person who does know Um and so I love that is just being a network of people that we can refer to and, and provide them and provide you as parents with some more information. It's, it's a lot to sift through. Definitely. And we're so grateful that you are here with us today to share a, just a bite-sized window, which was also in depth too at the same time um, about, <laughs> about the top spot and, and your, your vision and, and how your dream has come to life here. Oh. Much appreciation. And I'd love to come back and I'm always happy to talk on different topics. So any one of them can go on. So <laughs> it's 
I know after this, I'm like, oh, I forgot to ask her about that thing. You know, it's like on the car ride home. (laughs) For sure. Well, thank you so much. My pleasure. Come play. Come learn. a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the Friends and Family Guide to Speech Therapy and ADHD Coaching. If you found this podcast helpful, please consider giving us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. Your feedback helps us reach more people. Also, don't forget to share this podcast with your friends and family who might benefit from the information we discussed today and to continue this conversation with them. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode.